Okay, hey, how's it going? Uh, my name is Brady Dale, and uh, I am here uh, with um, Lightbulb Talks, uh, the podcast that I do every Tuesday and Thursday night here on Twitter Spaces, and then later shows up on the Spacecast Network. We're here tonight to talk about um, scams and scams and crypto. Um, and scams is one of those words that gets thrown around in crypto so much that it sort of stopped having uh, any kind of real meaning um, <clears throat> because it's, uh, you know, folks just say it when there's a project they don't like, they call it a scam. Um, and I think what they mean is, I don't think this thing's going to work out. And that's fine. Maybe it won't. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a scam. It doesn't mean that it was done in bad faith. But um, as one of our guests tonight, uh, Lena Swartz, a professor in Virginia and who studies communications and, and uh, who has studied um, crypto in particular and, and money more broadly and how broad money is kind of a social network, uh, wrote a book on about it that I uh, that I wrote about last year called New Money, How Money Became Social. Um, she does a good job of talking about how, um, you know, you can say like, oh, a scam is something that's in bad faith, but it, it does get fuzzy when you start talking about examples. And so hopefully we'll get into some of that tonight. Um, so, uh, yeah, want to welcome Lena Swartz here and also want to introduce, um, our other participant tonight. Um, and, uh, that is Patrick Merck of the, let me get this correct, um, of the, um, Berkman Klein center, uh, Patrick Merck's, uh, Twitter bio describes him as a blockchain nihilist and a law maximalist. I also discovered uh, researching this tonight uh, that he once upon a time worked for the Bitcoin Foundation, which is pretty interesting. So we're looking forward to the, some of that conversation coming in here. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk tonight about crypto, uh, what scams are, how scams are related to it. Um, probably there's just none is what I'm guessing we're going to come up with. Um, and for those who are listening, as you form up, um, you know, we always open up the space towards the end to people for folks to ask questions or make comments. Um, so please do that um, if you want to. Uh, I'll, I'll sort of say when I'm bringing, I'm opening it, but you know, indicate that you want to come on anytime you want. And just one last note, just for folks to know. Um, obviously, we are recording this, and we're going to rebroadcast it on a podcast. So you know, you're kind of consenting to that if you come on. But um, all right, let me bring on our guests. Um, hey, Lena and Patrick, how are you guys doing? I'm just doing great. Thank you, Brady. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. Hey, Lena, how are you? Lena? Uh-oh, could be having technical difficulties. Well, in the meantime, Patrick, um, how did I do on introducing you? Um, is there stuff that I left out that you'd like to add that it's important? Oh, no, you did a great job. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Berkman Klein Center uh, for Internet and Society. You got that. That's good. Um I'm also the chief legal officer and president at a company called Transparent Financial Systems right now. Um, before that, I was special counsel uh, at Cooley, where I co-led the blockchain and fintech, fintech practice. Looks like we have Lena now. Uh, can we? Can you get through over the mic now? Yes, uh, I dropped off for a minute, and I didn't hear anything from you introducing Patrick to now or beginning your introduction to Patrick. So, okay, cool. I'm back. <laughs> we were just kind of chatting while we, uh, while we waited for you to come. Um, I don't know if you want to add more about, um, your background Lana, before we really get going. Um, well, I'm happy for you to do so. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, um, so I'm Lana Swartz and I'm a media studies professor at UVA, as Brady mentioned. Um, I started, so my background is in media studies and that is like a field of people who pay attention to the kind of social and cultural dimensions of technology and in particular communication technology. And so I got interested in money and in, um, you know, financial technology broadly defined and ultimately cryptocurrency right around the same time kind of the world did, I guess. So I started writing and paying attention to Bitcoin in like 2011, first published an academic paper about it in like 2013. And, um, and it was sort of this, oh yeah, there's, um, it was, it, it kind of felt like, in the aftermath of the 2008 global financial crisis, everyone was trying to rethink money and trying to rethink money with technology. Um, and so I was able to kind of get in on that. And as an academic observer, sometimes pretty critical, um, sometimes pretty excited about the things I was observing. And so after spending, so I wrote this book that Brady mentioned called New Money, How Payment Became Social Media, that makes the case that money can be understood as a media and communication technology and kind of like claiming money as something media studies scholars should be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And then tracing that history and then looking to the future um, into how money is kind of changing right now. Um, and then after spending like almost a decade paying attention to financial technology, um, mostly payments and, and then, and also crypto blockchain type stuff. Um, I accidentally became like, I accidentally developed an area of expertise in scams, um, you know, both what the industry, um, and, you know, regulatory bodies think of as scams. Mm -hmm. Um, but also just like different little scams that had popped up over the years and became totally fascinated by them and sort of what gets called a scam. Um, and so I'm now, as I've, you know, spoke, talked with both of you before, I'm have this new book project that is very much in an in nascent form where I'm, I'm, trying to write a book about scams and what scams are, what they mean. Sometimes I think that scams are just, um, like, so there's this line that a weed is just a plant out of place. Right, right. And so I've begun to think about scams as like capitalism out of place uh -huh. or sort of like these is cap, this is capitalism we like, and this is capitalism we don't like. Right. And depending on who we are, we have the ability to label them as scamful or not scamful. But then there are, you know, there's true dirt bags out there <laughs> doing bad things. So how, you know, if we just get chew through the looking glass with like postmodern definitions of, you know, ultra relativism around what scams are, then we kind of lose our way there as well. So I have a lot more to say about this. I could monologue about scams for a while, but I'm kind of just interested in having this conversation with you guys. And point of question, question, Brady, um, yeah. is this a thing where the people who are listening can kind of pop in or is this mostly just us talking? Because so, I am also interested in hearing other people's thoughts on this topic. Yeah, what we usually do, I, I should have asked you guys this in our DMs, but how much time do you guys have? Like, when would you like to wrap up? Um, I would say like max an hour for me, unfortunately. Okay. No, that's yeah. that's totally fine. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So we'll keep it under that. So what we usually do is um, talk for like, you know, two thirds of whatever amount of time that we have, and then just sort of invite people to come join us if they want. Sometimes we get a bunch, sometimes we don't really. Um, so, you know, 
Um, so, so yeah, so we would love to have that happen as well too, but usually we just sort of talk for a while and then do it towards the end. Um, one thing for folks who are listening right now, one thing I really want to encourage folks to do, uh, is there's a, if you look at, if you haven't been on Twitter spaces before, there's a little heart at the bottom and, uh, that's a, a variety of emoji you can express things with. So I encourage you to do that, uh, as much as you can possibly want to. Um, so cool. And, um, all right, so let's just go, you know, uh, let's just go straight into crypto then. Um, and, and Patrick, you can just stay unmuted. I, I think it's better if you, if you do, unless you've got like, you know, a lawnmower nearby or something like that. Um, then you can just, I may have a toddler be, wake up and begin to go insane, in which case I will first mute and then leave. Okay. All right. <laughs> muted, all right. So. Noted, noted. Um, moderate insane is okay. Um, but, um, so like what's you guys is like, what first comes to mind when you all think about, uh, crypto and and what is and scams like what what's the first thing that pops into mind for you all boy i mean that's a loaded question <laughs> i think Jeez. um what i mean we could work the other way maybe no um I, mean, I think for me like there's like sort of like the og like crypto scam right which was bitcoin savings and trust which is just like phenomenal it was an amazing amazing like you know ponzi scheme um from you know way back in the day but i mean it's all right there in the name like bitcoin savings and trust you know mm-hmm. it sounds very official you know run by you know uh, pirate at 40 right like the typical sort of savings and trust banker that you would expect um that was a great one and what yeah. i don't really know that one like what was yeah, i i've heard one of the reasons why you know i th- I thought Patrick would be a great person to chat with about this is because I love this story and I love the way you tell it. I've heard it a few times. <laughs> so I love, I love, <laughs> I'd love, uh, I, you know, I think it'd be great to hear it again. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'm, I'm happy to. I mean, uh, so, uh, a young man, uh, pirate at 40, um, uh, also known as trend and shavers. Um, uh, out of Texas, um, but you know, at the time on Bitcoin Talk, he was only known by his alias Pirate at Forty. Uh, made a post, and he's like, "I'm starting a Bitcoin savings and trust. You know, if you uh, if you deposit your Bitcoin with me, you know, I'll give you like something like eight percent a week interest or some crazy number. I can't mm-hmm. remember off the top mm-hmm. of my head exactly what it was, but it's all there on, on Bitcoin Talk, so you can find you know the exact details." Um, and it was some crazy number and it was, you know, it was hilarious because it's obviously a Ponzi scheme to return those kinds of like, you know, uh, that, that rate of interest. Um, and in fact, on the thread where, what year was this Patrick? I missed. Oh, geez. It was boy, like 20, 2011 or 2012. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty, it was, it was early days. Um, it was definitely early days. Um, and, uh, but it was it was brilliant. So you put out a thread on and Bitcoin Talk was the the forum where everything happened in mm-hmm. Bitcoin back then, mm-hmm. um, for better or worse. And I mean, there there was plenty of um, interesting content on there. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, so they post, you know, hey, there's Bitcoin saving the trust. I'm starting. You know, I'll give you this like ridiculous weekly like you know interest on, on whatever you, you deposit with me and everything. And, um, even in the initial thread where it's posted, you know, some, somebody goes, you know, writes in there like, Hey guys, this is obviously a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the response was like, maybe, but as long as you get out first, you know, who cares? <laughs> right. And I'm just like, boy, that's crypto in a nutshell. Isn't it? Right? Like, that's the whole scene. So, um, but also, he should have just you know, called it an exchange and not told people that that's what he was doing. 
Exactly. But it was, it was really, it's really even going back, I'm sure it would be very amusing to like go back into these threads and, and see the way people were justifying it. Cause they were like, well, maybe, maybe he can generate that if he's like laundering money for cartels or something, maybe it's real, maybe it just is real, <laughs> but you know, it's like for some horrible like thing. And you're like, nah. and of course, you know, later it turns out the whole thing falls apart and it was clearly a Ponzi scheme. And uh, the uh, SEC came after him and, and, and DOJ and, you know, there was criminal action and everything um, and, and and all of those different things. And, of course, it was just totally a Ponzi scheme. And he was like did, buying himself cars and gambling. And, like, did he make any pretense of um, doing work that might generate like using the capital in some way? Was there any pretense of that? I, you know, I think that what what happens is like if you can let sort of the crowd do that work for you as long as you leave enough space. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then everybody can just sort of fill the gaps with like, well, what about this? What about that? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and I think it's actually um, more interactive and more engaging that way. Right. Um, uh, Sort of like a LARP, right. Like you, Mm -hmm. you want to actually like engage because it's like, it's part of like the mystery of it. Like, Ooh, how is he generating these returns? Mm -hmm. Right. What if it is real? You know, what if he does have these amazing connections with people or whatever? And of course, like I said, he didn't. Right. And, you know, he went to jail. Um, the funny thing about uh, those numbers of 8% is, I mean, you know, you can <laughs> blow that away in DeFi fairly easily right now. Um, well, well, weekly, right? Weekly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, the, the uh, I, I mean, I would have to go back into the thread to get the number exactly right. But it was, it was, it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know DeFi is DeFi is great. Yeah, DeFi is great. <laughs> a lot of wild things going on there. I mean, you know, it, I don't think it is all. You know, there's it's there's a fundamental realness there, but there is also crazy things that happen that you know are. Not oh, great. I'm a believer. I'm a believer in DeFi. I think DeFi. I think DeFi is great. I mean, oh, okay. there's obviously a lot of nonsense in it. Right, yeah, right, right. It's a highly amusing space, and it's also like a very there's some real like interesting things happening too at the same time. But, Patrick- but that's crypto in general. When you're yeah. talking on the topic of this conversation and when you're talking about what crypto is in a nutshell, when you say you're a believer and you think DeFi is great, but also amusing, what do you mean by great and what do you mean by a believer? Well, so I mean... For yourself, speaking for yourself. Speaking for myself, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've obviously like spent, you know, over a decade of my life in the space advocating mm-hmm. for it and... Um, uh, trying to make it happen and across, you know, in a number of different ways, whether it's entrepreneurially, as a lawyer in private practice, as an advocate, when I was pretty, you mentioned the Bitcoin Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I led all the public policy efforts in the early days, you know, testifying before the Senate and things like that. So I, I mean, obviously I believe in the potential of the space, generally speaking, um, and, I, you know, all of those different things. And I think there is a lot of real interesting innovation that's happening. I think there's some real power to the this both the technology and the systems but also the narrative that's been created about around you know both like finance and money and, and what these things mean um from a community perspective and what they mean from a digital perspective and on the internet in sort of a global context like there's definitely a lot of there there mm-hmm. um but it's also highly like entertaining because people take everything and like turn the dial to 11 mm-hmm. right so it's like i'll see your like special purpose vehicle and i'll make a fully autonomous DAO that like 
will blow itself up in like three months, right? It flies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, uh, yeah, that's, I, there's a lot of things I'd like to ask about there, but I, I do want to turn to Lana. Do you, do you have a sense for where crypto fits into your scam studies? Um, yeah. That you're proposing now? <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of my, I guess my lens for what I'm thinking about as in terms of scams are sort of trained by my time spent in and around, you know, crypto, mm-hmm. um, this, you know, you, you, you put this, uh, tweet up, um, that I, you shared a tweet from a couple of months ago, I guess, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, I, where I, I kind of begin to define or, or like give a little tidbit of, of my working definitions of scams or why I think we need to kind of understand scams differently now. And that's that, you know, when in the academic literature and also in just like popular imagination, when we talk about scams, we always imagine that there's a scammer, mm-hmm. right? There is a person who is a scammer who's running the scam and there's scammies. And maybe there's a, you know, conspiracy of scammers. Maybe there's like a team, um, but it's always about two parties or two teams, the scammer and the scammy, the the con man or con artist and the mark. Um, but you know, as, you know, Patrick's example of Bitcoin savings and trust illustrates is that, yeah, there maybe was one guy who was the scammer um, in the sense that he was saying, you know, send me your Bitcoins, but it was all the other people who were filling in the blanks, who are running the LARP. And one thing that I think is kind of unique about that example that isn't making that doesn't that doesn't quite exemplify like most scams in in crypto and more broadly today mm-hmm. is that the other people who were larping weren't also you know caught up in it weren't also um hadn't also bought in literally and therefore their recruiting of other people would like make a difference so i think about um you know Everyone wants to be, everyone wants to say they're hodling, but nobody wants to be a bag holder. (laughs) And so if you are entailed in a scam or something scammy in some capacity, it's sort of incumbent upon you to, you know, get out, you know, to, to ensure that others are brought in as you unwind your own position. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, you know, Patrick, you know, you said it was a Ponzi, but like, was it a Ponzi? Like, did it actually have a, a, the dimension of, people who got in early were able to, to, you know, partake of its benefits in the same way that the main guy was. Right. Right. Did, did people get paid out? Right. Yeah. Um, the sort of early investors, did they get paid yeah. out? I mean, that's what makes it a Ponzi, right? That's, is that's like, a, that's a classic Ponzi. That's right. right. Is, is some, somebody has to actually get out, even if it has a Ponzi structure and you don't pay out, it's not really a Ponzi. Then right, it's right. Then it's just basic yeah. stealing. Yeah. That's lame. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that it's interesting because in, you know, so if it, in the scams that I've been paying attention to in crypto and more generally, you know, everyone kind of oscillates between. So first of all, it isn't like there's these two teams, the scammer and the scammy. Rather, everyone is kind of oscillating between the subject position. Sorry, I'm using like academic lingo, but, you know, basically everyone is occupying the position of being a scammer and everyone is also occupying the position of being scammed. And Mm -hmm. you're sort of 
alternating in and out of cynicism and true belief between actually hodling and just pumping your bags um, and between being a bag holder yourself. And it's this kind of vast network or almost, you know, decentralized scam rather than this old school model of of this two player game. I think in the, the quote I put um you know, they're better understood as a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, or as Patrick just put it, a LARP, um, rather than this game with like two players or two teams. Um, And I think that that's true in crypto scams. And I think it's also true in MLMs, which, you know, multi-level marketing companies that have, you know, taken on like wildfire over the last, um, you know, few years, especially with social media. And, you know, I had someone tell me, I was interviewing the other day or a couple months ago, tell me that OnlyFans was a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and what she meant by that was that most of the top earners are making money not from fans and subs- you know true subscribers, but from aspiring OnlyFans performers who would like to get like shout outs or get affiliates or get basically become downlines. Um, And so this, it's like, who's being scammed here? Who's the scammer? Who's the scammy? How can we know? And, and I think that um, what's interesting to me about this is that you can basically guess who's most likely to benefit from this setup. Um, And you, you know, you can bet that the person ahead of you, you know, who, who bought in early or is your upline um, is more likely to benefit than you or than someone else who bought in at a higher rate or um, after you. But you don't, it's impossible to know who truly believes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like for, I, I've often thought as a, a scholar of money um, that money is all money forms, crypto or otherwise, are a bet on a future. Mm-hmm. So you only accept fiat currency because you are pretty sure that the government guaranteeing it will exist tomorrow and therefore someone will accept that money tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You only put money in a 401k because you expect that the world won't totally collapsed by that point, you maybe put money in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies because you think the world might indeed collapse by the, you know, down the line in the not so distant future. But while you're, while you're betting on a future, you're also conjuring that future. You're also pulling that future forward, kind of like do the logics of a prediction market basically. Um, And so it's, you know, whether from various different, um, ways of looking at it, you know, various different crypto projects either conjure a future where everything has collapsed and we can only rely or, you know, governments have either become too authoritative or too um, incompetent to manage the economy and its infrastructures and therefore we need something different. Um, or we're building, you know, as many kind of Ethereum-based projects um kind of proclaim, like, we're building a better future proactively rather than waiting for this one to collapse. Um, But it's impossible to know whether the person selling you the coin that conjures you the belief or pumping the coin that conjures the the that a particular vision of the future truly believes in that future, or if they're just pumping their bags and hoping that to unload them on you. Um, And I think yeah, that oscillation between belief and cynicism is fascinating to me. For those listening, um, uh, Lana spells a lot of those ideas out in an essay that I was the first thing I shared, um, this New Year Magazine essay, um, Bitcoin as a Meme in a Future. 
really interesting to dig into. W- one comment you made in there, I want to come back to in a second. But before that, let me just pr- put a, um, a thought experiment to the two of you. And this isn't even really a thought experiment. This has been done. Um, and, you know, I did a story la- around this time last year about the history of decentralized finance. And I sort of dug back into like the archives. And one of the things I found among the first sort of DeFi-ish applications that were proposed for Ethereum, and I couldn't really figure out what actually happened with these things. They were too early on. But I know similar things have happened since then. Um, was, you know, some of the first games people proposed to put on Ethereum financial games were, I mean, they were openly Ponzi's, you know, they, they were, they were, they were called like Ponzi mania or like Ponzi King, you know, I mean, they were, they were smart contracts that worked as Ponzi's worked. They made no bones about it. And so the question I have for both of you is, you know, and you could, and you could see it all, you know, the way most Ponzi's fall apart is like a lot of people send money in and the guy like absconds with it. Right. But is it is it still a Ponzi if everyone can see all the money go in? They can see mm-hmm. that it's not going anywhere. That the co- smart contract doesn't say it should be going, and it, but it still has that structure that people only get paid as long as new people start joining. Like, is that still a scam? If like it is obeying the <laughs> the rules it said it would, and you can even check the work. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, it's not right. I mean, so. Right, uh, it, it, a scam requires some sort of like uh, ill intent, right? To to scam is to convince somebody to do something through fraud or deceit. So um, that it requires, you know, in the legal context, we call it mens rea, but like you know, criminal intent, right? Ill intent. Um, so you have to like intentionally be misleading so if you just set up a pachinko machine that's rigged but you tell everybody it's rigged <laughs> you know i would argue it's not you know a scam and this was like the dow not a dow but the dow right is the, the classic example of that there's a pachinko you mean, like, machine. Wait, you do mean the dow like the, the dow the, dow. Like okay. the, yeah. the singular yeah. Yeah. dow i gotcha yes, i gotcha I mean, yeah, I mean, just from naming it, the Dow is just like so great, right? I mean, you knew what was coming next, which was like, this is like, obviously a rigged machine. Um, um, And uh, yeah, I mean, that was a classic example of where it's like, well, we built this crazy pachinko machine, but everything's there. Like, it's all very transparent what's happening. And, you know, and they've made clear that like, sort of the rules of the game are that, you know, the machine does what the machine does. And if you don't like it, tough, like, um, you know, and then of course they had to go break the machine to, to fix everything because it was a little bit too much. Right. Cause like mm-hmm. I said, everybody's going to turn it up to 11, um, to make the space so entertaining. Uh, Lana, do you, do you agree? Like if it, if it has the structure of a classic scam, but everyone's honest about it, it's not a scam. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's something that's really interesting. It's like, that's part of what that question is at the heart of what draws me to this. Um, and it's, I, one thing that I've noticed is that so often we're told, you know, people kind of talking about alternative visions for the economy, including crypto, will say Wall Street is a scam, nine to five is a scam, um, you know, 401ks are a scam, social security is a scam. Therefore, you should jump ship and come do this other thing that we're not even going to pretend is not a scam, mm-hmm. right? But you're entering this wild west of caveat emptor and and just 
it's your job to figure out how to sink or swim as opposed to this other world of failing institutions that are pretending that they're there to help you, but really don't have your best interests in mind at all, where the game is absolutely rigged, but everyone is pretending it's not come to this space where no one is make is pretending anything. Um, and I think that, and, and I, I am very cautious about that. I'm not someone who endorses that kind of like, radical libertarian wild west worldview but i'm trying to understand it because i think that in that context you know traditional notions of consumer protection absolutely fall flat like if you come in and say you know don't do these you know ponzi this is just a ponzi scheme everyone's just going to think you're like you're ever just going to make derisive memes about you mm-hmm. basically right. <laughs> and <laughs> but um and um and that's, yeah. But then, you know, one thing I've just in the last couple of years, so I recently did, did a deep dive um, for better or worse into the 2017 ICO bubble and my favorite topics. <laughs> yes. Which I'd be happy to actually I should send you the paper I'm writing about that. It's like, Oh, you know, dummy check. Um, not I think that, that is like one of the most complicated, it. like sort of what is this, like the, the the scam question in that bubble is so complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've heard me talk to you this week about this before, but anyway, it's really, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, sorry, love, keep going. Yeah. I'd love to have your take on that. But one thing I will say is that in 2017, it seemed to me that there was a lot of performativity around like making white papers and pretending like this, this token or that, you know, was re- this idea was, was really going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and then we, after that kind of went into crypto winter and we've had this like big kind of COVID era resurgence and all the new shit coins aren't going, jumping through all the hoops and writing these like elaborate visionary white papers. And I think of Dave Portnoy recently like pumping safe moon and saying, Hey, if it's a Ponzi, get in early. Um, which, (laughs) which we've seen, you know, which wouldn't, I don't think was, would have happened in 2017. It would have been veiled behind, um, white papers and websites and like fake LinkedIn profiles, um, for like alleged founders. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, 2017. <laughs> uh, so Patrick, just going going back to your comment on if they're on, like, I guess the reason why I have a hard time with this notion of, I, I guess to me it seems like if you know people are going to make the wrong move, like in mass, you knowingly do that, and you're just like, hey, everyone, here's the wrong move to make. It feels a little more complicated to me, and a part of where that's coming from for me is before I was a journalist, I did some nonprofit work in life, and one of the things I did was. I was in the midst of predatory lending just before the housing crash. And one of the things that happened among predatory lenders is a big part of their hustle was they would offer people these loans that didn't really make sense over time. But but they knew people would take them because, A, they wanted to buy a house and they would give a house to anyone who had a pulse. And, B, they would do things like, look, the interest rate will increase over time, but you can always refinance, you know – you're definitely going to be making, you know, way more money in five years, right? And people would be like, oh, yeah, sure, of course, because they they knew people would fool themselves with over-optimistic thinking. So, you know, we have truth in lending laws. They weren't hiding anything that they were going to do in the rules, and yet it sort of still feels scammy to me. If you, if you present people with a cliff and you know they'll jump off it, it does seem like you're still a little bit complicit in inviting them to jump off the cliff. You know, that's – I don't know. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. So, I mean – what, what we're doing is we're drawing a line between what's legal and what's ethical, right? And so just because something's legal does not mean that it's ethical. Right. 
Right. And, and so, you know, if you're, if you're setting somebody up to fail, even if you are transparent about it and honest and everything, and, and, you know, they, they jump off the cliff anyways, that's, that's certainly not an ethical choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and it, it may indeed not even be a legal choice, even, even if you're fully transparent as well, because there are other factors in play, but, um, but, but for, if you're defining like, you know, what is like fraud or scam or something like that from like a legal context. In other words, like, will the state hold you responsible for your, mm-hmm. your, your activity? Like there's, you know, there's, there might be a, a higher bar, right? Um, if you're saying like, are you being an ethical person or an unethical person? I mean, I think the bar is set in a very different place, right? So would I say that like creating the DAO, was that ethical? No, it was not ethical knowing like what they the way they went about doing what they were doing absolutely not right even if it was fully transparent um i'm the wrong person to push against this patrick but i feel like there's some DAO people who are really in the DAO who would want to push up against this a little bit who would find your comments very provocative i'm curious about it like i the dumbest piece i ever wrote as a crypto reporter i wrote about the DAO, and i'm happy i'm i own that um really need to go into it. But uh, I'm curious why you think it's so obvious it was uh, not because because the way so if if anyone who's listening doesn't know the DAO is this thing that nearly broke Ethereum, it was this decentralized autonomous organization, you bought these tokens, you could vote on how much money was spent, blah, 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 you know, the thing fell apart because of a mistake they made in the code. It wasn't anything that the creators profited from, you know. Well, we don't know whether they did or did not. Oh, okay. All, all right. All right. In all right. Fairness, right? <laughs> okay. We don't know that. Okay. Let's not make like uh, you know. We got to be careful. Here I mean, the for, creators you know, had a business they things. wanted to do, and then they got hired later by other people and related. I don't know, but uh, okay. You're well, right. Uh, well, well, and and so they also marketed. So they did a, a few things that I, I think would tip the scales. Please, right? yeah, go for it. So I probably don't one, they, they one they claimed that they had audited the code, mm-hmm. right? Which clearly it had not been audited. Um, and uh, and two, they made some really like obvious like like choices, right? That um, uh, around sort of like you know. Uh, how they presented and marketed it, right? This wasn't a group of people who are like, you know, humbly coming to the market and saying, we have a new approach to fundraising. Let's give it a shot, right? It was, we have we have figured it out. Like, this is the future, you know? And if you don't get on board, like, you're an idiot, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was everything you were just saying about sort of that predatory lending sort of mindset about how you market, right? You're like, this is the thing. And I remember like some of the tweets that were going around and it was like, they were like using, I think it was like magic, the gathering cards they were putting themselves. I mean, it's like a whole thing, right? Like mm-hmm. it was a huge orchestrated like marketing campaign to really make this thing happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were not being like, I, even in that case, I, I, I think I overstated maybe how honest and transparent they were being along the way. Right. Um, there was definitely some, some things around that. So I, I think that it was pretty clear and when I say I think it was pretty clear, you know, I'm quoted on the front page of the New York Times in print saying this is going to fail one week before it failed. Right. Mm-hmm. So and it's not because I'm a genius. It's because well I think to like people who were paying attention, it was obvious that this was not going to work. Right. But, but that didn't deter anybody from marketing it. And 
and it was the great thing since sliced bread, and there was no possible way that it could fail, right? But Go do ahead, you think sorry. someone who maybe doesn't understand how um, broad-minded and open-minded you are, Patrick, wouldn't someone sort of say, oh, he's just a Bitcoin guy pumping his bags at the expense of Ethereum, and that's why he's predicting it's going to fail, and in some ways he, A, got lucky, or B, sort of like contributed to the FUD around the DAO. Yeah. I'm just being provocative here. To totally, totally. And, you know, better to be lucky than good, for sure, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, th that's fine, right? I, I think that, you know, uh, I, I ran one of the very first Ethereum test nodes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, um, I, 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 th I thought that Ethereum would be very cool. I was disappointed in that instance. Mm -hmm. I still think that there's a lot of interesting things happening on Ethereum. I, I invest in companies that build on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I believe in like the, the, the general like arc of this thing, um, whether it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or any of these different things. Um, you know, there's a certain group of people who came around when there, there was only Bitcoin, right? So obviously, you know, you start there. Um, and I still mm -hmm. think that Bitcoin is, is an amazing invention and, and there's a lot of potential there, but it's not the only thing. And I think that, you know, it'd be foolish to be closed-minded. So thank you for the opportunity, Lana, <laughs> to like fully explain my position on this and not just come across as like some, you know, maxi guy who's just like, oh, Ethereum sucks, right? Like, So um, I, I have a slight, I have a change, a kind of a change of subject, which is, um, you know, some of the big, for like not, not people who aren't really in this space, um, the thing, the two scams I get questions about the most are OneCoin and Quadriga. Right. And it's basically <laughs> because there's been these like big podcasts about these two cases. Which is um, a third scam. Just kidding. Sorry. A podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or Substack or yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, Those are pretty I, good podcasts. Uh, I would I like, they the, are pretty I like the Quadriga one much better than the, um, the one coin one BBC stuff is yeah. over, over well, there's anyway, two quadriga, so. two competing quadriga ones. And I'm listening to them both at the same time. And I you know don't what remember broke the quadriga story though. Coindesk, just to be clear. So anyway, sorry, keep okay. going. <laughs> well, so in both cases, so the thing in the, one of the, the moments I found most poignant in the one coin podcast was when this woman who is a true, true, true believer, the thing that finally breaks her and kind of, um, I guess black pills her on on one coin is when she comes to realize that there's truly no blockchain mm -hmm. that there's that they've been sell buying and selling not coins at all let alone shit coins but um but just like information packets and like one coin didn't even bother to make the most like that basic was, listening to the podcast. I was just like, that isn't even hard. Just like, I know, I know you're getting so much money. Just <laughs> like spin I up a do dumbass. Like, I don't know. How to, yeah, like, yeah, I know. And then the other, well, yeah, but the, the point of that, I want to do the other thing. And then comparison to the Quadriga thing is that, you know, the big question on Quadriga is like, is he dead? Is he not? Did he fake his death? What right. really happened? But whether or not he is dead, Quadrica was a scam. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's one, even if he is in fact, you know, sadly deceased, like. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. That... Quadriga was completely a Ponzi scheme behind his clothes. Yeah, Lana, I mean, you made an interesting point early on that, like, you know, are, is scams just like, you know, capitalism in the wrong place? And I think this is, we can, mm-hmm. everyone can agree, right? If like what you do is you're like, hey, everybody, give me some money. I'm going to build this great thing. A bunch of people give you money and then you just take the money and walk away. Like, that mm-hmm. isn't really capitalism in the wrong place. I mean, that's just, we all, that's that's what is called in crypto, a rug pull, probably other worlds too. Um, that's a scam, right? I mean, right? I mean, but isn't that what all like venture capitalism is? Except the venture capitalists are um, accredited investors who like know are clued in. Well, no, they genuinely try to put it. They say, "You give me money, I'm going to try to put it in things that are actually good," and they're going to genuinely try to do that. And they could get but it wrong. But their sometimes. expectation that like most of them aren't going to be good. They're just gunning. What? I mean, Patrick, you're a venture capitalist. <laughs> uh, um. So definitely not a scam, right? Uh, um, yeah, no, I mean, this, it, it, again, it, it's sort of like, where's the, where do you draw the line on these things, right? And again, you, it's easier to do when you're talking about legality, but that's because, like, there's so much at stake, right? When you're, if something's illegal, right, you could, you know, have, you know, both economic consequences, but you could like literally forfeit your ability to have, you know, freely walk around the street, you go to jail, right? So obviously, Mm -hmm. there's like, both a high bar, and it's a very, they're like, clear, like lines, right? And it's really about like proving the facts or or Mm -hmm. clear, you you try and make those lines as clear as possible, because of the consequences of when we get to ethics, that other conversation, right? Like, I think it's a much different, you know, it's, it's harder to really clearly delineate which which side of it you're on or not on right and so yeah could you structure like a venture fund that looks scammy of course you could i mean isn't that the dow (laughs) yeah i mean of course you could exactly right um um but you know i think that that um there's an interesting like economic pull there right like um if you if you're able to raise capital from your limited partners and be able to like have that opportunity to deploy it and take, you know, carry. So a commission on the, the gains and things like that and get a management fee. It seems like a really poor strategy to do a very like uh, a short-term scam, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like grab a little bit of money. I mean, you're well, much better off like being diligent, honest and, and working hard at it. 
it, with the idea that then you can just keep raising money and plowing it into all these different companies. Yeah, right? I guess like and like because well, like, so by the rules. Yeah, the difference between a rug pull is a rug pull. They just walk away. I mean, VCs they do stick it somewhere. I mean, like yeah. you know, it could be a bad call, but like they don't just buy Porsches with it. They you know they're like I don't know. This seems like a right. good idea, and you guys think I have good ideas, so I'm doing this. You know, like right. But so there's so- a lot of legal structure that makes sure of that too, right? So for example, if I went out and raised a $50 million fund, rarely do I do a capital call that pulls all $50 million da- down, right? I'm actually like getting that money doled out, um, you know, in capital calls as I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as though like, oh, you just wrote a big check for $50 million and I parked it in my bank. First of all, that would be bad for my IRR and other performance metrics. But I'm not going to just like sit on a big pile of cash, right? And my LPs would be like, why are you doing a capital call for the full amount of the fund on day two? Mm-hmm. They'd probably That would probably like trigger some, you know, like, red flags on their side like why why does he need all this porsche money all of a sudden vc was a scam is a bit or the whole vc system not so much from the vc end but well or silicon valley vc as it, as it operates is this so if you if i am have a startup and i go around telling everybody that i have a vision for disrupting something 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 and and i tell that to my investors and my investors hear it but i know and my investors know and pretty much everybody knows that i have no intention of disrupting anything i have the intention of making something getting it sufficiently to scale such that we can all exit by my thing getting acquired by Facebook or Google or whatever, um, or a bank if it's a fintech. Um, and then it never actually does the thing that we all pretended to believe it was going to do. And we all knew it was going to believe it. We just did this kind of performative dance that would allow us all to make a bunch of money and then have the thing get acquired and swallowed by the larger company and then never really used by them anyway. And so we've all made money. We're all happy. But the whole way we had to do this kind of performance. And Mm -hmm. to me, that reminds me a lot of ICOs, you know, like someone when I was, you know, doing, can't remember who it was, but when I was doing this deep dive into ICOs said to me, if you, even if you wanted to make some kind of blockchain based system, you know, you had this great idea and you raised a bunch of money through an ICO and And then you didn't have to make the thing. There was no obligation to make the thing. And almost nobody who had bought your coin in the ICO was expecting you to make the thing. They just wanted you to kind of keep pretending you were making the thing long enough for them to do their thing on the secondary market for that, that token, for them to pump it and then dump it and get out ahead. Then why would you make the thing? Mm -hmm. Everyone's happy as long, you know, for you not to make the thing. And, and it's not real. I mean, it is kind we can call it an exit scam or we can call it, you know, a situation in which everyone kind of pretended to be on board for something for a particular temporality. And then by when they were satisfied, they divested. So this is, this this is why the ICO thing is so complicated, but this ICO versus VC thing, I think there's an important distinction to make here kind of in, in sort of kind of recent American history too. It's just, you know, when I first started as a tech reporter around 2013, 2014, a lot of people were calling that era in which there was a lot of money sloshing around as sort of like the next big bubble. We were heading into something like the dot-com bubble. And I think the important distinction to make here between the dot-com bubble and that time, which sort of has continued on to now, and the ICO era of 2017 and, and later, there's, a, there's, there's two parallels there, is that, you know, 
the, the VC era bubble, if it is that or not, who knows, that's all just rich people making uh-huh. rich people risks. Whereas 99, um, the first dot-com boom, that was a ton of retail people who got screwed over. Like that really did hit Main Street. Whereas everything that's happened from, from like 2009 on, even if it all just went belly up, hardly any of that would touch Main Street because it's all just, it's still just rich people's money, you know? And I think similarly in crypto, the thing that was, that made early, the early ICO era scarier than the later ICO era is that was a lot of normal people's money. Whereas later on, like as of sort of 20, 2018 kicked in, it was all just, it was all just venture money from then on, which I, I, I can't help but think that that is an important difference. Well, I mean, if you look at, I mean, as we all know, there's a little bit of a bull market happening in crypto like mm-hmm. this week. And all the memes are saying things like, you know, I, when I see memes about buying the dip, all I think of is you guys still have money. Or like, oh, feeling a sense of FOMO because you can't buy the dip because you already YOLO'd, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there definitely seems to be a lot of retail money in this space right oh, now. Oh, sure. That's in this space, but it's not It's not buying yeah. new tokens from unlaunched projects or, like, you know, pre-buying tokens that don't exist You don't yet. think, well, I mean, like, SafeMoon, as Dave Portnoy was just pumping. I mean, I haven't actually looked at the charts on SafeMoon, but, you know, overtly telling people to... If it's a Ponzi, get in early. No, and I, I don't I hear think you. he was speaking to non-retail investors. Yeah, I was just talking about 2017 and 2018. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. You know, we're in a whole... It's like, it's like, this is like a yeah, whole different world now. But. There's some interesting survey, like, sort, like, quantity, like survey data from 2017 that was, um, you know, seemed to indicate that the average investor had put in about $1,000. And I think it was something like 60% of the people in this data set who were in ICOs had didn't own any stocks. Mm-hmm. So it was, I mean, I do think I understand. I agree with what you're saying, but I think that there is, there is a lot of retail um, money in this space. And I think in the COVID, I think that was, I think that was true in 2017. I think it's definitely true in the kind of COVID and post COVID moment. It was for sure true in 2017. And that's, and that, yeah. And that's why it's important, right? The thing that's tricky tricky about the reason I have complicated feelings about ICOs is, you know, that's what I came, that's what I went full time in crypto reporting to cover was ICOs. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the truth is people say that like everything from that era was all a scam and it was all rug pulls. And the truth, there was a ton of them. There was a ton that amounted to nothing that, you know, from my reporting were honest efforts that just were dumb. And then, uh, but then also most of the biggest ones did fine and are still around and have all built the thing, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, they're all, the, they're almost all out now with very few exceptions, you know, and they're all, you know, some of them aren't doing that great. Some of them have done really, really well, you know, um, so it is, it is, it's a more complex story than people mm-hmm. discuss, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's, that's why I have complex feelings about this whole, the mm-hmm. whole sort of all ICOs were scams era. It's like, well, were mm-hmm. they? Yeah. I mean, I'm personally drawn to these questions because they are complex and there aren't these kind of easy answers or easy, easy villains. Like it's hard to point to like, who is the con man? And I think that that's what's interesting here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you raised a really interesting and, you know, provocative point in the paper that we shared up at the start, the Noema story, that was like this whole HODL narrative in Bitcoin is like kind of a scam. Um, 
can you unpack that? Some, I mean, I, you know, I see your logic uh, and I, it's a point I've raised myself too, but can you unpack, you sort of hinted to it earlier, but could you like fully unpack it now? Um, like, what did I say in that article? Oh, you like nearly <laughs> said it earlier on. Uh, so I thought you were, you were referring to it. It was, it was this idea. Yeah, no, I probably, yeah. Uh, but go on. You said, you wrote that like, um, you know, there is this, there is this narrative oh, in the community. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's more like, you know, what, like, okay. So I think that there's, there's the question of true belief and like really believing that Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies are necessary as infrastructures for the future, either as a hedge against collapse or as a way to build a better tomorrow um, or some combination thereof. And then there's the, and and therefore we need to like hodl to like bring forth that future. Um, but then again, you know, no one, everyone is also in it to make money. And so why would you hodl if your ultimate goal is to make money when there's money to be made by not hodling? Um, and so, so I think, you know, there was this interesting post on the Bitcoin subreddit, like, which is less important, I think, now than it has been in the past, but um, um, where, wherein someone laid out this vision for, you know, a, a global governmental crackdown on cryptocurrencies. And they were pretty thorough and they, it was like kind of conspiracy inflected and like, you know, the government is coming for your crypto um, and, you know, we need to hold on because, you know, and, and in previous years, I think that most people would have heard that read this like missive on government authoritarianism and thought, you know, Bitcoin people especially would have responded like, this is why Bitcoin is more important than ever. This is why we need to, you know, triple down on it. it this is only proof that the vision that we have projected is coming to fruition and like Bitcoin is more necessary than ever. Um, but instead, most of the comments from what I could tell from a kind of cursory, cursory glance were saying things like, this is just FUD. This is, this is just an, this is psyops. This is an attack. You're just trying to make us sell our Bitcoin. Or they were saying things like, uh oh, guys, we're losing all our money. And they were reading it not as this kind of political vision for a future that's hedging against authoritarianism, but rather um, an attempt to kind of make it sound like the price of Bitcoin is going to go down because there's going to be more um, crackdowns like what we've seen in China. Um, and so, so I just think that that's interesting, this kind of tension between the trading aspect, like are, is the price, price goes up, price goes down, I sell, buy low and sell high, or, or this like vision of conjuring a future. And the kind of speculation depends upon like simultaneously pretending that you believe in the future and maybe believing in it, and at the same time, guarding against it. And I feel like those two impulses are always in tension in this space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I always like my, I think the HODL narrative is just fascinating because it's just like, there's a point you stop, right? Or is everyone just supposed to wait until hyper Bitcoinization? Is that what like what <laughs> folks really, but you know, I don't know, but I, I do think it's a, it's a complex thing. Like, I mean, you, you got to get off the Ferris wheel at least a little bit at some point. No, no. Okay, cool. Whatever. Or what if calling something a scam made it more attractive to potential supporters and therefore it in fact was not harmful. It, 
you know, it's, so that's really interesting, right? Because like, I feel like that has to be sort of the explanation for Craig Wright. Because Craig Wright is like such an like obvious and noxious scammer, right? And, and like the whole that whole like ridiculous crew over there. Like I, I I don't even know if they pretend like they're not scamming anymore, right? And with the court cases and everything, it's just total nonsense. Right? It's just a nonsense factory over there. And 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 like everybody sort of must know, but I feel like there is this like hardcore group of people where it's the more you say like uh, you know, like that guy's obviously like a scammer. They're like, he's Satoshi. You know, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, very obviously not, right? Um, so I, I, I don't know. There are certainly like uh, maybe that explains it. Like by pointing it out, like the dissonance just causes people to like you know bunker up or something, and then like they can't see it anymore, right? I don't know. I mean, I think with the big like retail investing uh, outside of crypto, but kind of the Robin Hood. GME, AMC, whatever, the thing we heard again and again was it's all casino capitalism. It's all, all a scam, but we should have equal opportunity to participate in it. And we should be able to to see if we can outscam the scammers rather than being um, disbarred or you know disallowed from being in the playground at all. And that's exactly where, you know, like I said, traditional notions of consumer protection fall flat because it's essentially sounds very paternalistic to say, no, 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 you can't play there because you're not an accredited investor. You're not, you know, backed by a bank, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that, that they, many retail investors think of what they're doing as participating in a scam, but it doesn't bother them at all. Mm -hmm. Man. I love that like theme of democratization and empowerment that you just brought to this, Lana. I mean, what a <laughs> what an amazing way to end like this blockchain scams like kind of like talk, right? Like, it's not you know at least it's making the scams like you know egalitarian, right? Like we can all scam each other now on equal footing. So how could that be bad? <laughs> I think big picture, that's the world that we are moving into. And that is the world we're going to have to learn to grapple with. And I mean, I've been using the terminology of consumer protection, but like how to be number one, an ethical actor ourselves, but also how to conceive of our own self-interest. Um, and that's like not something that is being talked about in the financial literacy classes that just became mandated in <laughs> Rhode Island, for example. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's wrong. Uh, I yeah, there's this. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that is an interesting point. And on, you know, I don't know if you guys saw there was a one of the hedge funds that was um, anti GameStop went under today or the first of the sort of hedge funds mm -hmm. that were trying to like, make that trade against Reddit and they fell to Reddit as uh, a small one, but it's still mm -hmm. still interesting. Um, cool. Well, this has been a, a spicy discussion. Um, definitely <laughs> looking forward to uh, your papers in the scam studies area, Lana. Um, you know, very curious what comes out of that. Um, Patrick, thanks a ton for being here. I was very excited to learn six minutes before this started that you used to work for the Bitcoin Foundation. That was, I was like, wow, this is a whole, this old next level thing here. Um, so, uh, and, and for, in so many ways for this conversation, yeah. that's right. Yeah. We, yeah. we will be, yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Well, thank you both. Uh, thanks everyone who listened and, uh, I'm going to be speaking actually for those who have been here the whole time, just really quickly Thursday night, I'm going to be talking about DAOs with a couple of folks because I really want to write about DAOs more and, and think about them more. That that idea 
Uh, the Dow has come back in a gigantic way in the last year. Um, I think it's a little bit more refined this time. It's a little more dispersed. So if any of them fall apart, it won't go quite as far this time. And of course, Ethereum is also much bigger. Um, but it's an interesting concept still. So if you want to come back on Thursday at 9 o'clock, that's the topic, Dows. And uh, anyway, till then, have a great night, everyone, and peace. Peace.